Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I'm joined by Mike Chalice. Uh, Mike Chalice, hopefully you kind of recognize the name or the face, and if you don't, you will start to see this face and name more, and you'll want to recognize it because he is our physio at Revive Stronger. Uh, he's had a th- physiotherapy degree since 2011, so he's been in kind of working as that for a long, long time coming up to a decade now hey and uh is currently working you're still working towards your phd well so i'm not doing a phd i've um so i've done a master's degree in sport and exercise medicine and i'm doing i've done another master's on top of that basically keen nice so got all the masters and uh, he's also the lead physiotherapist for the men's and women's hockey squads at Loughborough University uh, the great thing with Mike is he's also a competitive bodybuilder he competed in 2014 in BNBF and he's also uh, a winning powerlifter although kind of that's gone by the wayside the last kind of uh, year or so and uh, he's focusing very much on his bodybuilding and uh, he is incredibly committed to that and it's wonderful to see that uh, and I really like this little quote that Mike put together where he wants to combine his passions for physiotherapy and bodybuilding, powerlifting, strongman and barbell sports in general to enable these athletes to be and remain injury free and maximize their potential, which I think is like, that's what like injury is kind of the crux for every single athlete in that sense, because once you're injured, what's there to do? And I think that's going to be the topic of the podcast, uh, because I think it's so important. And I think whilst not many people want to think about these things, there's kind of a lot you can do ahead of time, but also maybe this podcast will reach people who are currently injured, going through something. Uh, I know I have even current clients who have niggles and things and be brilliant to have a resource to pass by them to kind of educate them a bit. Uh, more than what I can give them and uh, give them something of a bit of comfort, I guess, from someone who knows what they're doing. So, Mike, is there anything else you want to actually kind of go through in terms of your background, anything you want to make people aware of about yourself? No, I think you like you covered it so well. Um, I think the only thing maybe I'd add is that, um, you know, I'm just really passionate about, about the sport of bodybuilding and strength sports in general. And I'm definitely not the smartest physio out there. I'm not the you know, loads of my colleagues and people out there are way smarter than me. But, you know, I, I'd like to think that, you know, when you're passionate about something, you, it kind of ups your game a little bit and it really helps you to relate to people. So hopefully that's something that I can help others with as well. I think you undersell yourself, but I'm very much feel the same way in that I'm like, I ain't the smartest guy out there. Uh, but my passion and kind of that will to want to help people and relate to others has definitely seen me reach like peaks in my career and where I am with myself with my training and even my clients that I wouldn't have been able to achieve with all the brains but none of that extra stuff so I think particularly for coaches and physio which in many ways you're kind of coaching someone through an injury I think that's super important to be that kind of relatable kind of hand there so I thought we'd start with the question of kind of like a lot of people will have experienced like delayed onset muscle soreness or like a little bit of an ache or a niggle what differentiates like a true injury versus just these other things is there anything that differentiates them for you yeah so i think there's there's a couple of things really firstly you've got um so you might have some visible if you have an injury you might you might have some visible signs so that could be redness it could be bruising um like if you this doesn't always happen and this isn't always a sign um but sometimes if you've got some of those reactions that could be an indicator but equally, it's not always reliable because I think we've all had the situation where we've woken up one day and we've had a bruise and we're like, how did that get there? Um, but 
it would be that combined with some other things. And particularly what we're looking at is maybe like a loss of function or a reduction in function. So for example, if you have DOMS, you might kind of squat down to sit down and you might go, oh, you know, that is a little bit, you know, I'm aware of that. But if it was an injury, there might be more, it might be a different kind of sensation. So it could be, you know, much more of an intense pain um, rather than kind of like more of a, a discomfort, if that makes sense. Um, also, if that's coupled with, you know, swelling um, or kind of, you know, again, um, temperature changes. So again, if it feels really hot, um, if you're getting sensations like, you know, pulsating or anything like that, um, that's when, and also like a loss of range of movement. So, so again, like when we've had, when we've done a big squat session or a chest session, we might be, our range of movement might be a little bit limited, um, but it shouldn't be drastically limited and it shouldn't be accompanied with pain. So I think those are the main indicators which differentiate kind of a pain slash injury with, with kind of just a general post-exercise or post-session soreness. Cool. Yeah, I think it's, I think back to actually someone asked me on my Instagram recently, kind of like, what's, what injuries have you kind of experienced in the last like few years or whatever? And I, I honestly haven't had any like touch wood in the last few years. Uh, the last one I can remember was in like 2016. And that was really interesting because that was like, you talked about temperature change. It was in my knee and it was just over time. Like I can remember my knee feeling really hot. There was no pain associated. And then later down the line, like, don't know, a few weeks into it, it started, like I started getting severe pain and I had to really manipulate my training and everything, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But is that sometimes like it can heat be like a leading indicator? I don't know if I'm jumping on something that isn't true. <laughs> no, no, definitely. And I guess it depends on the type of injury because with some injuries and majority majority of acute injuries, um, there is there is an active inflammatory component to it. And so, and when you have inflammation, if you think of what inflammation is, it's it's increased metabolism in an in an area because you've got a lot of blood flow, you've got a lot of kind of uh, reactions that are taking place. So an increase in temperature is the natural byproduct of that inflammatory process. Um, but then again, depending on the problem, if you've got more of a, a persistent longer term injury then the inflammatory component has probably gone a long time ago and actually you're probably dealing with like more different things. Cool. And I just out of interest, Mike, I know uh, you haven't had any injuries recently. Is there any, like, have you had any major injuries in your career? Like how, how's that been for you? No. So I think the only thing which was, you know, I've ever had to kind of work around a little bit was kind of a bit of knee tendon issues. Um, and that was very kind of, like looking back, it was very predictable. Like my volume spiked massively. Like I upped my, my sets a ridiculous amount. Um, and then kind of after that for, for a long while, I was kind of managing knee tendon issues. But in terms of, because I've never really properly played a sport or I played golf when I was younger, but like, um, but I haven't played a sport like football or rugby to a very high level. And so I think I've, like yourself, I've been very lucky in actually avoiding injuries. Yeah, I think I I had my what did I do? I cracked the it wasn't the I can't think what it is. I cracked something in my knee anyway when I was like playing sport at school. I think we did like a long distance run and then someone smacked a hockey ball at like my kneecap and that put me out of football for ages, which is really sad. And actually, my worst injury I think that I've ever had. Um, well, 
second worst was uh, I was just like being a bro in the gym, didn't really pay attention to any of the things we pay attention to now, like control and range of motion, everything. And I got huge pain in my shoulder. And then I just kept going through like a push workout because, and this is something we'll probably talk about as well, where I hit the pain and then I just kept pushing through the pain because I was just a stubborn and I'm still stubborn, but hopefully a little bit more, more mature than I was. And I got a slap tear. So I still have a slap tear in my shoulder. So I'm quite unstable in that joint. Um, so I was due to have keyhole surgery and somehow decided that I wouldn't do that because I've managed to work around it now. So yeah, they're really the only ones I've ever truly experienced. So um, I guess some of those things are relatively kind of frequent for people. And hopefully some people listening to this are early on in their lifting career because then you can avoid a lot of the kind of downfalls because I think that's what happens. Like you start using heavier loads than you should do or not using correct kind of form and technique and um, that can easily get away with you especially when you're kind of a don't know testosterone fueled teenager who just wants to kind of show up his peers or anything so yeah i guess a good place to start maybe is on something we definitely wanted to focus on this kind of came through a discussion that you had with harry uh, smith one of our coaches uh, and he said it would be fantastic to get mike on to talk about the kind of psychology behind injury i think a lot of people might understand some of the physiology, but the psychology is something and a topic that isn't spoken about much. So yeah, I guess in terms of injuries and mindset, I don't know if there's anything initially it springs to mind, but how important is that for, I guess, you work with athletes and kind of helping them through that isn't just a, I guess, physical thing. There's also kind of how do you keep them mentally kind of allowing themselves to recover or kind of stay on top of everything? Yeah, and it's it's a massive area and it's really exploded, particularly more in the sports side of things. But um, I think as health, health professionals and, and coaches as well, we're, we're all aware like how massive um, like the psychological component is to, to everything. You can't separate, you know, the body from the brain, you can't separate biology from psychology. And I thought what's really interesting, so is that some recent research in the sports realm they found that um, so um, athletes who've had an ACL injury, so for those who aren't aware, so an ACL is your anterior cruciate ligament, which is a ligament in the inside of your knee. And it's really um, critical. Well, it's not, it's, it's responsible for providing um, both, both kind of uh, forward, but also rotational stability in the knee. And when people rupture that ligament, it results in a massive time loss. For the majority of people, you're probably looking at, you know, the fastest, you know, 10, 10 to 11 months, if not maybe a bit more for some. So it's a really massive injury for a lot of people. And, you know, you, you hear it about it in football quite a lot. But um, what they found was that only two people who've had an ACL, people who've had an ACL injury, only two thirds of them went back to their pre-injury levels. Wow. And they were finding that it, the majority, a lot of, for the, a lot of the, them, it wasn't necessarily the physical component, although that was important. There was a lot of barriers to that recovery. So it was things like, um, you know, fear of re-injury mm -hmm. and confidence, not only confidence in their own ability, but the, the confidence in others' perception of their performance, if that makes sense. So, oh, what does the, does the coach think I'm still good enough, et cetera. Mm -hmm and um and yeah just confidence in their own ability and just um and those sorts of things so that was really you know i think that really hopefully shows how massive the psychology can be um yeah when with regards to your recovery from an injury 
Yeah, it's crazy to think there's kind of one third of those athletes are held back just because they mentally are not in a place to stay confident and able to push through. And I know, like anyone knows, if you've had something that is kind of like not feeling quite right, it takes a long time to kind of be confident in going through that range of motion even or putting on the loads that you used to use. Is there any strategies that you use to kind of introduce that with some of your athletes or whilst they are recovering, anything you do to kind of keep them with that positive mindset? Yeah, and I think just before, if you don't mind, Steve, um, yeah. before I just sort of, sort of dive into that, I wanted to also say that not not so much with like a short-term injury, but with a really long-term injury, um, they've likened the response to an injury to the grieving process. Oh, wow, um, yeah. Yeah, and they so, yeah, with a particularly a long-term injury, they say you go, so there's five stages that people go through, and obviously everybody's an individual and so everyone will go through it at different sort of take time the time taken to go through each stage will differ but when you they say the um the first stage that you go through when you get injured is like a denial phase so that's kind of like oh this hasn't happened this can't happen to me you know this can't this can't be possible kind of thing no this hasn't happened blah 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 you know kind of thing um and it's actually what they found is that it's a really common defense a common defense mechanism psychologically because it's it's a way that we deal with the immediate shock of what's happened um but so we've got that denial phase where we kind of just isolate ourselves but then the next stage as you'll probably guess is anger so people then go on to this angry phase where they're like why has this happened you know this is so unfair and this is when like reality is really hitting them but they're not again emotionally ready to be able to deal with it so and again like rationally people may think oh it's not so and so's fault or you know it's not you know you know it's not no one can help it but emotionally they're not able to deal with it yet and then once they go through that anger stage people will then move on to a bargaining phase so this is kind of like um oh if only i'd have done this or if so and so hadn't you know moved this or if i'd have just put on my lucky shoes i would have been fine kind of thing um and and again it's just it's a, just a natural process people are going through and then they'll go through that and then the next stage is depression so this is when like reality's really sunk in and they're like you know everything's pointless you know i might as well give up and they've actually said that there's maybe two types of depression one where it's kind of that loss where you know someone you know in bodybuilding or training they're like, you know, it's that loss of identity. It's that loss of being in the gym every day or their loss of their self-image because their self-image might change throughout the injury process. But then it's also, there's a subtler kind of depression as well, which is more of kind of just preparing to accept what's happened. And then the final stage, which I alluded to, is acceptance. And what's really interesting is that not everybody will accept what's happened. Okay. So um because again for some injuries some injuries can totally change your situation forever you know hopefully not hopefully nobody ever experiences this but you know if, if you are not able to train in the same way again that might you know it's very difficult to come to terms with that for some people and some people might not be able to do that um so it, and it's just a really it's a really emotional painful process it's painful to accept what's happened so not everyone gets it and again like coming back to the acl literature 
a lot of people a lot of people who've had ACL injuries and people who've had other injuries they they might not want to do the same thing they might go through that injury process and they might go you know what bodybuilding competitive bodybuilding actually isn't for me I want to do cycling instead and you you'll find that with some injuries hopefully not for the people listening but you know some people like you know they might change their choices and their path in life and again it's again it just sort of I've talked a lot now but it's really just to emphasize, you know, how massive, um, you know, this emotional process and emotional turmoil people can go through. Yeah, I can completely see that. It's nice having that backdrop, actually. And it, it kind of makes sense that it's similar to the grieving process. And it's immediately making me think about the situation we're in right now in terms of going into lockdown. It's kind of like you've suddenly, like your training has been massively shifted now. And you put, there are probably are people who are in kind of that denial phase and kind of they're trying to fight it and everything and trying to work out how to get things better. And like you mentioned there, there probably are some people, unfortunately, and hopefully everyone listening do kind of accept it and can somehow move on and try and make the best out of what they have from home. But certainly there'll be some people who won't want to do that. And I guess for you with your kind of people that you kind of help through injuries and um, your kind of athletes as well, how do you is there ever a, do you have a method of getting them from depression or avoiding depression into acceptance i guess that's the most important stage or do you try and catch them early uh, and take them kind of away from the grieving process yeah i think um firstly it's trying to recognize where they're at um because again some people might stay in the anger stage for ages and ages and ages yeah. um and actually they might get to the depression stage but it might last like a couple of hours well maybe not but you know they might go through it really quickly and I think the most important thing that coaches, but not just coaches, actually everybody, because everyone, because it's really important for people not only to recognize this for themselves, but in others as well, their friends, their, their family. Um, so if you recognize where people might be at, at a certain point in time, that's when they can use these strategies. I think, so just coming back to what your question. So I think there's a, there's a number of things that, you can do um so they talk a lot uh, in the research about support mm -hmm. and there's kind of three different types of support so you've got your tangible support which is just the really uh, like the the day-to-day -day logistical stuff so if someone's kind of like they've broken their foot and they're on crutches it's like helping them you know drive them places you know helping to carry their bags it's those sorts of things but then something really important for us is or as a coach um is informational support okay. so so that might be actually educating them about the injury process saying you know okay you know and biologically it will last this long this is kind of you know the rehab process and we we can expect these sorts of things along the way but there's going to be a bit of uncertainty along the way but giving that them that education about the injury the kinds of things that they can expect it really helps to reassure them and and again that really helps them deal with some of those emotions they might be experiencing and then the last one is social support and that's just literally you know having people around you your friends coaches people that you know you trust that help you having that social support is so critical i think that's one of the biggest things that that they've identified in the literature that can help someone going through a grieving or, or an injury process fast efficient fat loss does that sound like music to your ears the mini cut movement might just be for you mini cuts are like robbing the fat bank you want to get in and out with as much fat as possible 
In a short period of time, you could easily look to lose six to 12 pounds of fat. The mini cup movement is excellent. There's group support for extra accountability and also expert help within the group. We have educational videos to keep you on track along the way and you get all your nutrition and training customized and individualized for you. So if that sounds of interest, get involved with the mini cup movement. Yeah, I can definitely, I can see that completely because it's very rare that like having social support doesn't help with a situation. And I guess if we bring it, I guess in a team kind of aspect that you're working in a lot of the time, I can absolutely see that that is very possible. I guess for someone who like you're well, maybe not yourself because you're obviously with a team, maybe that really helps. But for someone like myself or the listeners who are like bodybuilders and they're kind of, they don't, how do you, are there any strategies that you know of and i guess in the internet age it might be a bit easier to get like some with like semblance of social support yeah so i think it um you know if, if you've got friends or partners who in the gym who i think i kind of i've got two sort of uh, approaches to this because i think people again will react to this in different ways some people will want to stay connected to the sport or activity that they want to do and so in that situation, you're going to want to like one, have their training buddies, just support them and say, oh, you know, good job, you know, keep working on your rehab, keep working on just recovering, getting better and you'll be, you know, you'll back, be back with us in no time. So you've got that component, but then you've probably got other people or other situations where they, they don't, they need a break. They don't yeah. want, because they might be perhaps comparing themselves to people who are training they might be looking on Instagram and they might be seeing, you know, so-and-so who's training, you know, full on, you know, you know, an overreaching mesocycle. And they might be like, you know what? I don't need that. So actually taking a break from that and having friends who don't bodybuild that, that can be really important having, you know, your partner and just spending time with them. And I think, you know, again, like recognizing where that person is at or if they recognize that in themselves and then just trying to, you know, have build build that environment around them is, is a great way of doing that. Yeah, I really like that, and it makes sense that obviously there is an individualized kind of uh, approach to getting someone out of this phase. We, I, I really like that because as coaches, and there, there will be a lot of coaches listening. You'll see, in, it's individualization. There'll be some people you have to push, you have to some people you have to pull. So it makes sense that in this situation, there isn't kind of a one standard approach where it's like. Yeah, you should, I don't know, put yourself in the situations where you see other people training and encouraging you because there could be definitely people who respond negatively to that and that pushes them like the other way and makes them feel really bad about themselves. And like you said, reaching out to people in your kind of social network that aren't so involved with it, or I guess potentially even getting into activities and hobbies and things that take you away from it. I guess it's kind of like in a deload week, you sometimes, like I sometimes recommend people like spend more time on other stuff because you've got the time to yeah and i think that's really important so the biggest thing that i try to create with athletes is right what can you what can you do in this time and it's like how can you use this time to come back even better yeah because there might be you might have been in the grind you know so busy being busy that maybe there's a weakness that you that you kind of you know that you haven't been paying attention to but now you've got the opportunity to work on that so physically so say like for example your calves were really lagging but like you always kind of emphasize you know the good old arms and the shoulders 
that maybe you've had, had an arm injury now and all you can do is lower body, fantastic. You know, it's a great opportunity to smash the calves and just really overload them and to, to specialize a body part, which you might not, like, I know for us, like we have a preference to grow everything. You know, we want to emphasize everything. Whereas maybe if we were injured, oh, that's, this is a great opportunity where we can just specialize in our quads or our calves or whatever. Um, so turning in opportunities is massively important. But equally, if you can't train at all, you know, there's, you can, you can imagine that time. Imagine where you've got maybe like a two or more hour window, which you can dedicate to something else. You could be learning your craft better, like being a better coach, you know, emphasizing on professional development. You could like so many things. You could learn a new language. You could go traveling. Um, yeah, there's so many, I think, got to try. And it comes back into another tactic, which hopefully we'll talk about, which is about goal setting. And it's just about maximizing that time as much as you can. Yeah, I think uh, getting into the goal setting would be amazing because I, I think you've kind of touched on it a little bit there. But I think... Like you said, it's when you're injured, it's very easy to look at it, look at what you can't do, um, and kind of having that mindset. But it's a good opportunity, and I guess like COVID, looking at what you can't do in the lockdown situation. But actually, why not flip it on its head and look at now what what can you do? Uh, what actually can you you can make changes to whatever you need to do? You can progress on some element that might take you further towards your goal. Um, that'd be awesome to talk about. Yeah, because. Um... I think, again, the goal setting has been like really strongly um, supported in, in the scientific literature at the moment, both in psychology and kind of in the sort of the medicine sphere. And one of the things I think goal setting does is it provides a plan because I think one of the, the biggest causes of, of emotional pain and um, sort of anxiety in, in athletes and people is uncertainty mm. because you're asking questions like, when is it going to get better? When am I going to be able to train again? You know, how long is it going to last? You know, all these questions are going on in your mind. And that is just feeding this fear and this anxiety, which doesn't help the pain at all. And by having goals, realistic goals, um, and by having breaking them down into short, medium, long term, um, that really helps to just take away that, that kind of uncertainty. It provides you certainty every day, because even if there are some things that are out of your control because again, with injury, you have up and down days, you know, some days are great. Some days are shit. Oh, sorry. Um, and, it's all good. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So like, so you've got to deal with those up and down days and having a plan really helps with that. So, and, it, and it, everyone will know this, you know, having, you know, smart goals, um, you know, having short goals so that or short term goals so that each day, you know, you can tick something off, you know, today I'm going to do my rehab today. I'm going to, you know, walk, walk around the block. Um, and just having that something, it, it triggers that dopamine release. You feel good and you're making positive steps forwards, but then you've got those medium term goals, which again, give you something to focus and work towards. And then you've got those long term goals, such as recovering, getting back, all of that provides a plan. It provides certainty, which is so helpful. Um, for, for people and it's probably it's one of the biggest things that I try to do I, and I'm not I'm not perfect but I try with with everybody that I work with to have a bit of a plan and to give them sort of an outline of that plan yeah I can definitely see that and something that's kind of 
spiked a light bulb or lit a light bulb even spiked i don't know how you spike a light bulb <laughs> lit a light bulb in my head is uh kind of practicing potentially a time if you haven't already been uh, and it's something i go through kind of uh, phases of practicing gratitude kind of i imagine it, it's probably a hard time to practice gratitude but it might be the prime time because it allows you to focus on what good things are going on uh, because yeah it's 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 just interesting because i think again relating it to i guess it's easy to relate it to the gyms closing down because i didn't really appreciate the gym as much as i appreciate now it's taken away and i think it's like an injury you don't really appreciate to know your quads and you may even be like me and be like, oh, my quads are not very good. I want them bigger, like blah, 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 and being really negative. And then, well, they're injured. Now now you appreciate what you had. So I guess uh, gratitude is probably something for people to practice, like even if it's like just three things they're grateful for kind of every other day or something. Is that something you've ever tried to utilize with people? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, seeking perspective because, you know, you could have broken your foot and you could be sort of, you know, down, but then there could be someone in a wheelchair, could be someone with no legs. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's always someone in a worse position than we, we are in. Um, so I think gratitude is huge. So I, I definitely think that that's part of it for sure. And then when, I don't know if you've kind of covered everything you wanted to cover in terms of when someone does get injured and how you take them through that. If we're on the earth, like coming out of that period of time you kind of got them with their goals you've got them focused on kind of the things they can control and what they can be productive for at this period of time how do you get around those who are kind of worried about getting injured again um, and kind of making sure that they can keep progressing and get back to their best or better than that yeah it, it's really tough actually um, I think the biggest thing which the biggest tactic that I would try to use in strategy is probably just graduated exposure um, I'd get them to, so say for example, sprinting, um, or, you know, again, a squat, if someone was really fearful because it was either through sprinting or squatting that they, that they experienced their injury, it would be about, okay, right. Let's rather than putting a barbell straight back on your back, let's do, let's do a squat to a 60 centimeter box or, you know, not even like to a table and let's just practice that movement pattern or even just doing a, a slightly different variation and just getting them comfortable with that and, and then going, okay, you know, this feels okay. I feel confident that I can do this. And then just really just taking time to just gradually go back to that. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. And you know, when they're getting to that kind of near end stage, it's about them, you know, almost taking ownership of themselves. And I think another thing that's really important is for people to have like a bit of a reflection diary and to reward and acknowledge the positives. So it, so again, it might be, oh, I squatted today with, um, with no pain and it's like going, oh, brilliant, tick, you know, reflect. Um, and I think those are really powerful things that athletes can do that can help them get over that kind of that fear of re-injury. Yeah, I, I like that <laughs> reflection diary because I think it's all too easy to focus on the negatives and you forget like so many good things that you've done or achieved or uh, how well things are actually going. It's kind of like, I don't know, I'm thinking of uh, people weighing themselves and you focus on that one like I don't know, high or low or whatever way and the one that's not along the trend Whereas if you look at the long-term average, you look at each daily weigh-in, it's like, oh, okay, maybe I am on track. So I think that's really important because like you said, every injury, 
it takes a while to kind of get back there and it's probably going to have good bad good days bad days and so long as you're getting more good than bad i guess it's moving in the right direction but if you don't take a, like account for those good days it's all too easy to be like oh no i'm, I'm never going to get there and i like the graduated exposure and again i guess you can keep focusing on the other areas that you're trying to bring up at that time especially in bodybuilding like it's bodybuilding is such a forgiving programming kind of type of endeavor because there's always something you can generally do if you manipulate load volume intensity uh we've got uh, exercise selection like there's so many things you can do um i don't know if that's something we want to chuck like kind of just go through in terms of physically what things during the recovery or even the injury stage what kind of things can we do to our programming to help get around the situation is there any things that kind of spring to mind i guess specifically for bodybuilders yeah so i think probably the first thing that came to my mind is um it was actually blood flow restriction training so you know this is this was really big so if someone you know can't say do you know squats or something very heavily axial loading um, or they can't actually load a limb or a body part very heavily for, for one reason or another blood flow restriction training is just a fantastic way because you need no weight whatsoever really to to get kind of a hypertrophic stimulus and and again the research is, is starting to become more favorable in terms of you know, maintenance and possibly, in, you know, hypertrophic gains. So I think that's probably, you know, a massive kind of tool in our toolbox that we can use. But then the other, the other areas would be, um, again, just movement patterns. So again, recognizing, okay, how can we change the movement pattern slightly so that we're still, we're still getting, you know, the target area that we want to target, but without provoking, provoking the pain essentially. Um, and I think off the top of my head, those would be the, like the biggest things. And obviously you can manipulate, um, like how you do it. So it might be that, okay, if we can't tolerate really heavy loads again, again, we're just going for, for metabolite work, um, and, and vice versa. Or again, it might be an injury that after a lot of repetitions, it really starts to kind of kick in. So again, we might just actually keep, we have more of a strength focus and the reps might be a little bit lower, which again ties back into what we were saying about it's a great opportunity to work on, on other areas. So again, this could be an area where actually we just get a little bit stronger um, rather than focus purely on, on hypertrophy or, or vice versa. You know, let's get you, you know, really kind of, um, you know, it might be getting you more conditioned. So again, from a metabolite perspective, you know, you can really tolerate a bit more volume. Um, so again, there's always positive ways that we can spin it and work around that injury. Yeah. I I completely see that. And I, I think one of the really cool things or it, it sticks out in my mind when I was recovering from my knee injury uh, and I was having some consultations with Quinn Henock, who I know you massively look up to and he, he's a great guy and he really helped me through. He was kind of saying like, we want to do things and we don't want to poke the bear. Um, and it was a case of like, you, you don't want to piss the injury off because if you keep pissing off, like I'm stubborn and a lot of bodybuilders are stubborn. They're going to keep trying to do their old ways and try and do the movement. And they might be like, oh yeah, I'm feeling good. I think it's pretty much back. And then they go through like a proper squat session, full depth or whatever. And the next day they're like, oh my God, I'm in agonizing pain. I'm back to square one or something for me was, um, I don't know if it would be an interesting thing to actually touch on, but exertion headaches. Uh, I got an exertion headache and then I had to really modify my training, my training tempo, uh, using the Fasalva maneuver. I had to m remove that. Um, and that was like not a very fun period of time. And it actually was like, it was kind of, 
the, particularly actually the exertion headache is one of those things where kind of came out of nowhere there was no clear cause and then it just seems to have been like oh i don't get them anymore i don't know why it came it's it actually is i could i could see people being fearful of those especially if they've experienced them often um i'm going to go on a side tangent here but have you experienced one yourself mike and have you had like athletes experience exertion headaches do you know what no i haven't experienced them i've been really lucky because i know migraines can be you know migraines and headaches can be really severe and they can really affect people and i've been really lucky in not not experiencing those things one thing though which i think would be really beneficial for people who who suffer from either headaches or just in terms of monitoring themselves is i often recommend to people keeping um i call it like a pain diary almost or you could even think of it like an activity pacer and that's literally where you're just tracking your you're tracking your pain and you're tracking your activity each day because again what can sometimes happen is because we might not know at that point in time what's what are the aggravating factors to either headaches or an injury we go through like a bit of a boom and bust cycle where we might have a really good day. So we're like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. And then the next day we pay for it. And like, we're just, we have like, it's the worst headache or worst injury, like pain ever. Um, and then over time, we're not really making any progress because we're up, we're down and we're just yeah. kind of staying there. Whereas actually if over time you avoid those boom busts. So we want a lot, during an injury process, sometimes we want a lot of days ideally to be kind of nice and consistent because then we can make positive progress. Um, and so just having that like activity tracker um, is so important because also like if we think about it, you know, sometimes we can be so meticulous with our training, but then when we're injured, we just don't, we like almost stop everything kind of thing. But that's almost the perfect time when you want to identify a pattern. Okay. What's the pattern to what I'm experiencing? And then you can, you really know like what to do and what not to do. This is so interesting because I'm just drawing so many uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, patterns alongside like injury management to other things because I'm thinking of, I just interviewed Jacob Lenarden on kind of managing like binge eating disorders and that sort of thing. And quite often like a recovery process they go through is like keeping a food diary and like trying to track kind of when you do have a binge, what caused that. And it's kind of the same, like you're being kind of a bit of an investigator by keeping this diary and then you can try and see, okay, what most likely caused this? Was it this? Shall I try removing that? Oh, that hasn't solved it. Let's try this. It's very much like you have trigger foods, you have trigger exercises or whatever it is. Um, and it's just so interesting that like this recovery process seems like it's it probably works for a lot of different things as well. So that that's fascinating to me. And um, I, from at least my personal experience with exertion headaches and my other injuries, you get to a point where it's been so long since you've had any trouble, you forget about it completely. And that's what I guess you hope people will get to. Um, and that's why it's important if like a lot of people, like for me, I was quite lucky that it just kind of smoothly went that way. I didn't have to manage it a lot. But if people are struggling to get to where I am or recovered from a full injury, like what you said there is so important because it is a case of they probably are just poking that bear not realizing it's getting really pissed off and they are going through that cycle of like the binge purge cycle or kind of the injury re-injury kind of cycle um and like you said there's there's a lot you can do work around wise and exercise selection is a huge one um even small things i found like just grip width or foot position uh, you don't have to like completely change your entire program so I, I think there's so many variables coaches can play with there that you mentioned 
Mm, definitely. And I think on that note, just because even, even highly reflective people, there are still going to be things that are going to probably escape your conscious attention. And sometimes it's only yeah. by going back and writing them down or that you go, huh, oh, actually, it did feel better when I made my, uh, you know, grip width, you know, a little bit wider or my stance width a little bit narrower. And it's like, oh, okay. Or actually, it's like, oh, today, actually, I felt really pissed off with when so-and-so said this or that so-and-so really triggered me when, when they said that. And it's only by, like, doing that on a daily basis. And also, it's really helpful because then if you, coming back to the injury side of things, like, if you if I kind of have a catch up with an athlete or a person and they go, Oh, you know, Tuesday, it was so painful. But then if we've got that log, we can then go back. Okay. What did you do Monday? What did you do at the weekend? And then, Oh, does that fit in what with you did last week? And then it's like, ah, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, it was because of this, you know, actually I did 22,000 steps or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's so yeah. Even in the most highly aware, self-aware people, there's still stuff that escapes escapes our attention yeah i think that reflective process in so many ways in life is just so valuable to just sit down reflect assess and it can it takes a while to be mature enough to be in that position and i think that's why a lot of the time like coaches have jobs physiotherapists have jobs because they force someone to kind of do these things adhere to them be consistent with that uh, i don't know if you're happy to move on to already but um could we move on to any kind of practical recommendations in terms of, uh, I guess, prehab, or maybe it's called, or uh, and then maybe rehab and uh, everything we can do in terms of avoiding and maybe if we do have an injury, I guess we covered some of the if you do have an injury, but to yeah. prevent injury, what's your kind of main go-tos? So I think firstly, and it is going to be a little bit more kind of, I guess. Hey, Pascal here. I just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching. And if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level, hit the link in the description below. General in some respects. So what I was going to say is the first thing and the most obvious thing is, is do seek support. And it doesn't matter who that is, but I think you really do need a coach in some form, whether that's a physio, um, you know, a coach, an osteopath or whatever. Um, I think that's like one of the biggest things that you can do, but um, it's having proactive communication. So it's then recognizing, okay, this is the situation that I'm in. If I proactively, you know, because again, um, you know, sometimes if some people have a, have a professional who, who's not as kind of familiar with training or with bodybuilding, et cetera, they might not necessarily know your needs and it's probably a bit unfair for them to expect them to know what your needs are so i think if people communicate as proactively as they can with with their coach or with whoever they're seeing i think that's a that's the first tip that i would probably give kind of catch it before it can really i guess like bury itself in <laughs> it's just starting to nibble don't let it bury in your skin or whatever <laughs> yeah exactly because there might be something that they were thinking like they might think oh, do you know what? I think I might try squats actually, you know, tomorrow. And then, but if they communicate with, you know, that, that professional, the professional might go, no, hang on. That's not a good idea because of this, this, and this. And they might go, oh, okay. Rather than actually they go and squat without telling anybody. And then they're like, oh, this is really painful now. Um, and that could have been avoided. Yeah. So I think, yeah, always communicating practically is just, is huge and shouldn't be underrated. 
I think I only say it because even personally, but you see it all the time that people will only seek a physio or talk about an injury once it's already at the point of which it's like, it's a real problem now. It'd been building up for months, but now it's a real problem. So I think as soon as it starts building up, like that's a great time to reach out to a physio to kind of prevent that coming on. So yeah, fantastic advice. And, you know, we've already talked a lot about um, goal setting, but I think even if, say, like the person that you're seeing, like, um, again, isn't very au fait with bodybuilding, I think it's still such a great process to, to write down your goals um, and to, to create a bit of a backwards plan. So um, in sort of in sport, we sometimes have the, the saying performance backwards. And so that's like, okay, if the, if the end goal is this time or like winning gold at the Olympics and that's what this looks like, okay, what do I have to do, you know, a couple of months back from that? What do I have to do a year back from that? Um, and having that performance backwards approach. So, you know, having that plan. And then if you've got that, then taking it to knowing what that will entail. So if, say, for example, you know, someone wants to step on stage, but maybe they've currently got a broken leg, and then they go, right, okay, so by, you know, let's say by January, I need to be probably squatting. I need to be able to make sure that I can get X amount of steps in because I want to make sure my knee is nice and high. Um, then if they have those sort of tangible things, that clear idea, then they can go to their, their physio or whoever and they can say, is walking by this time realistic? Um, and then they can go, they can either go, yeah, sure, you know, that's, you know, they might say that's ambitious, but it's possible. Or they might go, no, actually, that's really unrealistic. You're probably more likely to be doing this then. Um, and then, then you can readjust your plan. Um, and I think just really quickly, I think there's sometimes a place for a second opinion, but then there's also a place of, of respecting that opinion as well. Um, so, and it comes back to kind of like our acceptance piece, you know, is this realistic? Mm. And that's where you need that second opinion. Cause you know, you might make a plan and it, you know, you know, unfortunately it might not always be realistic. Yeah. I see this. Uh, I, I very much like planning back from a show. It's even to the point, like it's very similar to the injury, but someone might have a certain amount of weight to lose and one coach might not give them the answer they want. So then they keep seeking others. And uh, I think if you've sought out a well-respected physio like yourself, then hopefully you're going to get kind of a very similar answer from everyone who's very similar to you. So yeah, I think that's what, otherwise you'll just keep going until you find the answer you want and it might not be the right answer. Yeah. Confirmation bias. Yeah. But um, I think, yeah, absolutely. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say now, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's, that's really important. And, um, yeah, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that, that people can do. Um, I think the, the other thing that I was going to say as well is, um, what's really sometimes helpful is to have more criteria based goals. And because sometimes, um, if you always go by timeline, so if say you sprained your ankle, they might say, oh, in two weeks, I'm going to be doing this. In four weeks, I'm going to be doing that. And again, people will have different situations and different circumstances. And again, what they're tending to do in the sort of the physio realm these days is rather than, you know, having timeline-based goals is having criteria-based goals. So an example of that would be if they can, if they can say do a body weight squat for 20 repetitions, 
right, okay, now I know that I can do a single leg squat or if I can do a single leg hop pain-free, I can start running now or I can start, you know, doing more high impact. And so I would encourage people to, if they're seeing someone, to maybe again, hopefully have some criteria-based goals there as well. Um, that would be something that would be really helpful for people. So in terms of kind of trying to prevent the injury, a big one in for you is kind of as soon as anything starts feeling off, kind of flag it up, um, yeah. even if that is. And I guess even be proactive in yourself and like don't be stubborn to having to stick to a certain exercise, maybe just rotate that one out a little bit. And even to the point, uh, I've often heard the advice and I often give this advice I don't know if it's good advice. I imagine it's not bad because um, I'm not qualified in physiotherapy, of course. So I'd always refer out to someone like yourself, Mike. But uh, say someone's in a, a session, in a workout, and something is kind of when should, is there a time they should push through something and a time they shouldn't push through something? What's kind of, if someone's feeling a bit off, what, what is there any kind of um, clear kind of defining line where they're like, no, here, find something else or skip it or actually here, maybe you can continue to go through it. Yeah, so, yeah, it's really tough. I think if it was something, and it's really difficult because everyone's sort of subjective experience of how tight something feels right. is going to be really different. So what all I could say is probably that um, if, if it's probably very maybe uh, general and kind of mild in nature, I would probably say, and also it totally depends on the context of the individual. I think that's probably the most important thing. So if someone's got a history of an injury, that's probably a different ball game. And I'd probably yeah. be much more cautious in calling either a set, a rep or, or an exercise, depending on, you know, if they've had an injury before and where that is. If it's someone like maybe myself or, or, or you, Steve, you know, we haven't really got a massive injury history. And so you know, if we were starting to feel maybe a bit of an ache in the shoulder or whatever, we'd probably say, okay, you know, maybe, um, you know, finish that rep, but then just call, call the, you know, call the kind of the exercise there and maybe try and go on to a different exercise. And then if you're noticing it on this, on a different exercise, um, then I'd probably say, okay, probably call that body part there, go to a different body part, you know, and then, and then see how that feels. And then again, record and reflect on how you feel after the session. So, do you have any, is there pain? Is there massive kind of, you know, any loss of function, range of movement? You know, how soon after? Is it, you know, hours later that day? Is it the next morning? Because again, sometimes people can be fine for the rest of the day, but then it's the next morning when something feels or the night. Um, so I think that would be the biggest thing. You know, know the context that you're coming from if you've had a previous injury before. If you have, be very cautious. And if you are feeling you know, very specific tightness or similar sensations, or it's just not kind of moving very well, um, then call it, call it early, move on to a different exercise, um, but maybe the same body part. If you're still feeling that sensation with a different exercise or movement, then I would call that body part and do a different body part. Um, and yeah, I think that would, those would be the main pieces of advice. Yeah, I know I've had it. I've had it various clients where, they've had something really acutely feel wrong, but then like, they're like the next day it was completely gone. And typically when that happens, my thought is like chronic and feeling it the next day probably means something more severe has happened. But if it, sometimes we do get these 
one-off sensations um is there anything like people have like cracking and popping and that sort of thing is that a problem uh, if it that doesn't isn't associated with pain oh no so i think that's a really common question so um and and if there's no pain so clicking popping cracking it's it's a real natural occurrence in the body um for different reasons so so again with kind of synovial joints is you'll have a pressure difference between the outside of the joint and the inside of the joint and so sometimes when people have been in a certain position for a long period of time you just get a, a kind of a renormalization of those pressures and you get what's called a bit of a cavitation um, and so that's when sometimes joints can crack or pop um, also again different ligaments and tendons can just flick over different bony prominences so but again if there's no pain associated with that it's not something you need to worry about um, you know, sometimes I sound like a musical instrument when I'm warming up before a session, but, um, you know, it's not a problem. Um, but again, that's where people can be very proactive. So if they do have a concern, don't kind of listen to me and take my word for it. If people have got a concern, um, then go and see, see a professional because it might be actually, they might be squatting in a bit of a funky way that is causing a clicking, which if they, you know, spot it and point it out, they might have avoided a potential injury later down the line. So again, yeah. it comes back to that that proactive kind of aspect. Yeah, no, I definitely see that. It's uh, just came into my mind because I was uh, doing some press ups at home, some deficit press ups, and my like elbows click so much when I do that <laughs> movement. Like every reps, like a huge click. Obviously, I've I've I know that myself. I always have that click, and it's not associated with pain. So it, yeah, it's nice because I think, like you said, there are individuals who are. Maybe they've been injury free and but they're just very pessimistic, kind of always a bit like, oh, don't like the sensations of pain and they where someone might score a kind of five out of ten, they'd score a nine out of ten on the pain scale. So they need a bit of a push. Whereas other people they need the opposite and you need to be like, no, be cautious. Typically I think bodybuilders are a bit on the kind of overzealous and kind of underrate pain and normally need to be a bit more cautious, in my experience at least. Uh, I don't know if that's kind of something you have seen as well. Yeah, I think that really kind of um, resonated from the perspective of it came back to what we were talking about in terms of fear of re-injury. And like if people are, say, worried about pain or, or soreness, they've not lost anything by, I would say it's probably, it's a bit more risky to really push it acutely in the short term. So, but actually, if they keep a little kind of a reflection diary, they might say, okay, I personally would rate the, the, the soreness and the challenge of this exercise like, you know, a number out of 10. And then each maybe successive mesocycle, when they're at that same point in time, they can go back to that and they can maybe, you know, they can try a little bit harder maybe and say, okay, this is how I responded. This is how I felt. Um, and again, it's just that long-term reflection process, which over time will kind of just help them get over that fear of pain, of soreness, being able to push that a little bit harder, being able to know, okay, you know, this is what almost, this is what I can expect when I push myself to this level. And um, because again, I, sometimes I think maybe with some people it's that fear of the unknown. It's that fear of, you know, oh, if I, if I push, if I push it like this, you know, am I going to get injured? And, you know, I would say to that, don't do that. You know, don't suddenly, you know, kill yourself in one set, but actually, okay, just push yourself a tiny bit, you know, a tiny, tiny bit. And then, you know, okay, what happened? You know, was I okay? What did I experience? 
And then, okay, if everything is fine, okay, well, the next time I'm going to just do it a little bit more. And then you get to like that kind of sweet spot. Yeah. I really like that graduation process um, that you kind of talked about before and you talked about it there where it just gives someone a little bit more exposure, a little bit more exposure because eventually you'll get to a point where it is like extreme hard, like whatever you're training, but because you've graduated up there, the body is in a really good position to be able to deal with it versus jumping there from like the get-go and things like that. And that's where I guess it's a big marker in fatigue management that we talk about and like deloading and having rest days and kind of graduating up volume and not kind of jumping from like extreme low to high and things like that, uh, which yeah, are not generally things that you would be advised to do. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to cover, Mike. I have a question in mind, but I think it might end up leading down a huge rabbit hole and we'd be talking for far too long. <laughs> um, but is there anything else you wanted to cover in terms of physiological, psychological injury, kind of prevention or kind of recovery? Otherwise, I think you've done a fantastic job. Yeah, I think just a couple of little things which you didn't touch on, but some of the research in physio at the moment, when from a psychological perspective with people returning from injury, is there's some um, evidence to support the use of um, imagery, so visualization. So, and that comes back into, um, you know, specific tactics when people have got an injury. So it's visualizing a muscle group. So it's that mind-muscle connection, which again, like sometimes we poo-poo a little bit, but actually, again, in the medicine research, we're starting to find the same thing. You know, if you're, you know, working your quads or actually visualizing, you know, um, visualizing yourself performing a movement better, you know, or visualizing that body part kind of healing, which I know sounds really kind of woo-woo, but actually that positive self-imagery is really well supported in the literature now. Um, and then the other one is just positive self-talk. So again, coming back to that fear of injury or fear of re-injury, you know, actually saying, do you know what? No, you know, I'm strong. I've been diligent with my, with my rehab exercises. I've been diligent with my recovery, with tracking my pain. I know what aggravates my pain. This is going to go really, really well. Um, and it's those types of little tactics as well, which can um, really just support that recovery process psychologically. The, your goals and your proactive communication, um, all of that are like your, your base at the pyramid. And then like your, your visualization, your self-talk, all of that is like the, the higher ends of the pyramid. I really like that. And I, I can see why having kind of a physio in your corner could be so helpful because they can keep you kind of accountable to being that way and being a bit more positive and they can kind of build you up at the same time uh, because it can be really difficult to take yourself through that process but now at least people are a little bit more equipped and they understand injury a bit better and how to prevent it and kind of some strategies to cope with it if they are currently going through it so um, and even applicable to lockdown situations potentially or kind of any hardships in life where something's been taken away from you so mike i want to say a massive thank you for having this chat with me um, i think it's probably going to benefit a lot of people if people want to reach out to you kind of find more out about you mike where is the best place for them to head so the best place is on instagram i think i'm michael.chalice on instagram i think i remembered it rightly just then um i try to be on instagram as much as i can um, I'm trying to be uh, more active on the member site as well. So if people kind of have got questions or queries, please jump out to the member site. I try to be, you know, I try to leave as detailed a response as I can on, on there. So if people have got any problems, reach out to me on there or on Instagram, you know, I'd love to hear back from them. So yeah, those would be the places. 
amazing and i i can second that the work mike is doing on the members site with people who have injuries just very professional very helpful and kind of actual evidenced help because it could be really hard to find support and sometimes you just have a quick query so it's, it's really great that we have Mike available there as a resource. So yeah, definitely we'll have that link below. Um, if you also want to have a consultation with Mike, we'll have that link below. We have that available through, uh, so you can have a one-on-one -on -one chat like this. Um, at the moment, I'm not sure even kind of, you can do one-on-one -on -one actual real consultations. Can you take people in Loughborough at the moment or are you is there restrictions there? Well, so fortunately, um, I think it's been quite lucky in the UK because uh, a lot of the medical services have been able to carry on. So for Fantastic. physio, that's the same thing. So fortunately, I've still been able to see athletes in the clinic as normal, which has been a real positive. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for coming on and thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you soon. Cheers, guys. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Flor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another a really cool community for people within our little niche. It's going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're going to have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're going to go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.